Uh, so tonight's Indefensible Inc. is intended for mature audiences. We're going to be talking about Lady Death, a series about a woman with chalk-white skin, enormous hair, and enormous breasts and leather lingerie. And it doesn't get much more mature than that. <laughs> but um, no, I think I think we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll probably keep it pretty clean, actually. This is a lot less uh, sexual, actually, than I had sort of anticipated. Yeah, yeah, there'll, there'll be a lot more uh, discussion of decapitation and, <laughs> and, like, people being killed in horrible ways, but limited sex talk. Right, so might want to send the kids the American to... way. Yeah, might, might want to send the, uh, send the kids to bed anyway, but... Because um, mm-hmm. I know this is a family listening around the fireside podcast. Oh, yeah, that's how we mainly promote ourselves, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, I was a little bit hesitant in, not not so much choosing this as a topic, but in tracking down the the trade paperback for this series, because it just there's something about taking a uh, about buying a used copy of a comic that was ninety percent <laughs> pinup shots that just makes you feel like you need like a. A good shower afterwards. Yeah, you know, it did not occur to me until <laughs> until you brought this up, mm. and now I'm like, man, I probably ate lunch one time reading this. It's... Yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go to the gotta go to the doctor, <laughs> get checked out. Hi, I'm Ryan McClure. And I'm Justin Zyduck. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a closer look at some notoriously and allegedly terrible comics and comic runs. And today we're going to be talking about the first Lady Death limited series from 1994, which was published by Chaos Comics, uh, along with the One Half issue, which was published in cooperation with Wizard Magazine. Uh, if you haven't heard of Lady Death before, uh, don't worry. We're going to bring you up to speed with that. Uh, and also, if you don't know what a a half issue is, we'll also get to that. Uh, but the series that we're going to be talking about is collected in the trade paperback titled Lady Death the Reckoning. And it was written by uh, Brian Polito, who was the creator of Lady Death. And illustrated by Stephen Hughes. So Lady Death is a character uh, created by Brian Pulido, who has been around in one form or another since 1991. Uh, Lady Death is the character that I associate most with the bad girl art trend um, of that time. I happen to have my old 1996 Overstreet Price Guide, like a totally normal person would. <laughs> the blurb on uh, they have like blurbs and all the publishers. The blurb on Chaos Comics actually claims that, quote, the title is also responsible in part for starting the bad girl genre. So I will give them their due there. It also claims that she was at that time the top selling female character in America, which for 1996 comics, I absolutely believe without, Mm. without hesitation. Um, So we've talked about uh, 90s comics and sort of the excesses of the 90s comic book industry. 
There was a boom of independent publishers in the late 80s and early 90s, most of which were explicitly positioned as an alternative to the big two of Marvel and DC. One of the big distinguishing features uh, of independent comics in terms of, uh, was in terms of mature content. Although Marvel and DC didn't exactly shy away from violence and sex in the 90s, at the end of the day, they were still trying to basically publish all-ages comics. Um, they had characters they wanted to put on lunchboxes, so there were sort of limits. Uh, the main titles were still regulated by the Comics Code Authority, but who knows what they were actually doing by the 90s. I get the sense that it was sort of a rubber stamp as long as you didn't actually have, you know, nudity or whatever in your Spider-Man comic book. Uh, mm-hmm. Even uh, Vertigo, which was DC's mature reader imprint, had sort of like a... Um, you could show nudity and sex and violence and stuff and swear, but like it had sort of like a... What I think it was like a good taste standard. Like, everything is sort of supposed to be artistically justified and not uh, necessarily exploitative. Um, If you've read Preacher, you can argue this. (laughs) I certainly would. But, uh, yeah, so there's like a line that Marvel and DC could not cross, and the appeal of indie publishers is that they could cross that. Um, They could give fans what they wanted with fewer restrictions. That could be artistic, as, you know, uh, something Vertigo could be, or it could be... Sort of shameless, which brings us to the bad girl art. Um, if you're not familiar with, you weren't around in the 90s, it's revealing outfits, it's violence, there's an attitude, they're always sort of smiling in sort of an evil way. There's spikes, there's blood, there's chains, that sort of thing. Um, it's sort of like the 80s slasher movie thing of combining sex and death and like pushing those sort of emotional... Uh, response buttons but here the killer and the girl aren't two separate people they're one and the same um, and some other event uh, examples that you might remember from the 90s are Witchblade where, who was the uh, woman in sort of like the green crusty boob armor <laughs> this sounds crazy if you didn't see mm-hmm. it uh, there's she there was Evangeline Angela Razor a whole bunch of comics around this time that were basically here as a badass chick possibly with blades of some sort. So that's that context. Uh, what's the deal with Lady Death? I actually had no idea what Lady Death's deal was before I got this. And if I read, read these in the 90s, um, I didn't know if she was like a vampire or a witch or a demon or what the what the deal was. Um, but it's a character that I had been aware of because I did read Wizard Magazine in the 90s. Yeah, and like, you know, it's one of the things that you were like aware of, if you, if, even if you didn't like know about it. What, mm-hmm. was that, is that is that the case for you? Yeah, I, so I remember, uh, in, so Wizard Magazine was pretty much the 90s comic Bible at that time. And, and so they would promote things like Lady Death and some of these other characters. And so I just knew them uh, from that particular context so I, th- I think i knew i think i had an idea that she was uh somehow like a personification of death that was my guess but <laughs> that was about as far as i got with with the character yeah it was sort of interesting with wizard magazine because like they were always pushing like lady death and witchblade and stuff and then you'd go to like look at the reviews section It'd always be like, oh, these books are, you know, these books are bad. They're just TNA books. And they would, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. see like a pretty, you know, a definitive, like artistic statement on it. And then like the yeah. next issue would be like, Witchblade, it's awesome. She's got boobs, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting, interesting time. <laughs> 
It's a yes. mixed editorial message, but uh, mm-hmm. they had magazines to sell, I guess. So anyway, um, yeah. Lady Death, her story starts with another Brian Polito series called Evil Ernie. Um, I have also not read Evil Ernie, but the Wikipedia summary of Evil Ernie is pretty crazy, actually. Uh, basically, Evil Ernie, as this is as much as I was able to gather, was a psychic teenager who was abused by his parents and who became an undead supernatural killer. So I guess in that case, it's like a slasher movie villain, but he's the protagonist. Um, from what I've gathered, Lady Death starts out as basically sort of like the little voice in Evil Ernie's head driving him to kill. Like he sees this uh, fantasy vision of her, which is appropriate because like a teenage boy who doesn't feel love would, I think, pretty much do whatever a hot woman in a leather bikini asked him to. Including, yeah, yeah. you know, killing all sentient life on Earth. Um, mm-hmm. It later becomes uh, apparent that Lady Death is not just a figment of his imagination, but an independent entity entity who wants Evil Ernie to kill all life on the Earth. Yeah, so this it's pretty much like the doodlings of a teenage Iron Maiden fan brought to life and published in comic form. Yeah, or like, um, you know, an, an aesthetic I think you could, you might want to keep in mind if you're not familiar with it is like the van art of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Like all that kind of like warrior woman with big sword and flames and demons and stuff. That's sort of what we got we got going on here. So, um, yeah, that's my, um, my summary of the history of Lady Death before now. Um, I may have gotten this wrong, like I said. Um, let us know on Twitter or email uh, at indefensibleinc or indefensibleinc at gmail.com if we got anything wrong, and we will sincerely apologize to the Lady Death uh, experts. Um, mm-hmm. But for the sake of this story, um, I don't think you need any more context than that. So and without further ado, let's figure out what the deal is with Lady Death. We start with uh, issue one, and we start off with Lady Death roaming around a what looks like a castle, uh, and just kind of bumping into one of her undead-looking henchmen, and she gets really mad at him and throws him through a wall. Um, and so we get some interesting opening captions describing Lady Death. Uh, it starts off with steamy, remote, elegant. Yeah, they have like they go on and say like the incomparable, unforgettable Lady Death, which I think it has yes. kind of has like the vibe of like you know those there are those guys who like are kind of scheming. They're like I appreciate a beautiful woman on a higher level than you do. Yeah, it does come off kind of <laughs> like sort of creepily objectifying at the same time as it's trying to elevate. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm objectifying, but like in nice language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's opening up in a, in a classy now. <laughs> um, so she's she's not in a great mood, and we soon find out why when she starts to reflect on her past. Uh, we find out she began life as a young woman in a 15th century generic medieval village, which. Apparently later on is retconned to be somewhere in Sweden. If I do the math on the tombstone, I think it's 1495, which would put it at about almost exactly 500 years uh, before the series was published. That's a nice 
touch like how in the Legion of Superheroes is always exactly 1,000 years into the future. Maybe that's why she's not in such a great mood. It's for 500 years she's been uh, lamenting and roaming around this castle. But um, So her name is Hope, and she. we start off with, with a scene of her, as I think as a teenager, mourning at her mother's grave. And then her father, Matthias, comes on the scene. And so in his entrance, he comes up to her, yells at her, calls her the the B word, hits her, and then says that he'd ordered her not to come to his mother to her mother's grave to mourn. So we already get a sense of the kind of nuanced, morally gray characters we're going to encounter in this series from that moment. Yeah, if you couldn't tell that he was the uh, he is the villain from that scene, um, he has this incredible bad guy armor. It's dark and sort of black blue, and it's covered in spikes. He looks like the Shredder, so yeah, yeah, with like the super spiky shoulder plates and everything. Yeah, he's definitely dressing for the job that he wants. <laughs> mm-hmm. So after this scene, we get a scene of her father Matthias going off to war, and the peasants in the village are asking him what's happened to their sons and husbands, and he's he's being all apologetic and being like, "Oh, they they." sacrificed their lives to protect the the town and they're going to be remembered as heroes uh but they're the peasants are kind of skeptical and they're whispering that maybe he's in league with demons which maybe they're onto something (laughs) we'll we'll find out so then we cut to hope waking up in the middle of the night to some evil laughter so she goes down into the depths of the castle and stumbles upon her father doing some kind of ritual involving summoning demons. Yeah, and uh, on the way she passes through these sort of coffin-shaped doors in the castle, which maybe that's what sort of tipped the peasants off that something's not right about this dude. Like, did you see, like, I, I, talked, to, mm-hmm. I talked to the architect. He said, he said, like, do you want normal doors? And he's like, no, coffin-shaped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are definitely some red flags with him. Yeah. Um, that that you, you want to keep an eye out for. But uh turns out the peasants were right. He's actually using the souls of his own dead soldiers to feed these demons and win favor with the princess of hell. And so we get actually some really cool, maybe van side quality artwork of him summoning the demons where like the souls of his dead soldiers are departing from his body and they're being absorbed by these summoned flaming demons. Uh, and then actually, I thought it was a pretty pretty nifty metaphor for warfare in general um, in terms of, you know, people, usually the the wealthier or powerful sending off the, the, the peasants to, to kind of fight for them and essentially feeding off their their deaths in some way to increase their power so yeah, i thought that was that was interesting yeah it was a little more um i, I guess yeah i guess commentary than i was expecting from again lady death but mm-hmm. that's cool yeah it also just looks cool too it is pretty rad like you gotta you have to be listening to you have to hear a constant guitar solo <laughs> as you were going through this book absolutely <laughs> so then hope 
she stumbles down, sees this, and then we cut to her waking up, and she's thinking, maybe it was a dream. And then we get a scene of her hanging out with her boyfriend, Nicolo, uh, who attends university. And he's telling her about the latest breakthroughs in medicine, particularly when it comes to how to treat the Black Plague. And one thing they're talking about is apparently it's better to lance the the uh the bubos or the like the swellings from the the plague rather than bleeding people um but based on my exhaustive <laughs> wikipedia research on the black plague uh which is a couple of paragraphs i don't find any evidence that lancing is a is a good technique mm. That's... maybe um, so don't... maybe he's not a good student <laughs> that's true maybe he's uh just trying to impress her but yeah so don't go and try this on anybody who has some kind of swelling and might have the plague <laughs> yeah so one of the things that's weird about this scene is that the uh the last panel has the uh the lovers uh making out and they're kind of framed by like this noose that seems to be hanging on the tree and that is supposed <laughs> to be some um foreshadowing clearly but i don't understand why there's a noose on the tree like like is that how matthias like rolls like he is like the you know the bringer of death and he's like i just gotta have nooses everywhere on these trees i might need them at any time yeah well he's got those coffin shaped doors (laughs) he's got the the nooses in the trees he's uh he, he doesn't really care about what people think about him but speaking of matthias a few Months later, he goes off to war again, and this time he conscripts Hope's boyfriend, Nicolo. She tries to stop him, and and Matthias tells her she's too late, and tells her not to embarrass him in front of the peasants. Um, and then after this scene, we get townspeople start whispering about how she's almost as bad as her father. The, the lines are... Bout had it with that Matthias, and he's a lout. Which, to me, that sounds less like the complaints of people who have seen their families torn apart by a bloody warlord, and more like Matthias is kind of like an, an annoying coworker. Like he's a mm-hmm. he's a bad tipper. He doesn't pay for his you know share of the secret Santa gift. It's like you know yeah. it's like you know oh he's he's torn my family apart. Guy's kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you don't. You don't think of too many revolutions starting with people being like, I've about had it with that king of ours. <laughs> the worst thing is his loutishness. Yes. It's, can't abide it. Yeah, not not exactly the uh, storming of the Bastille no. yet. Yeah, so we do get some cool battle scenes and panels. Uh, there's one of Matthias astride his horse in the middle of a snowstorm, holding up the severed head of one of his enemies. Um more more great van art in the offing uh so meanwhile hope's stuck in the castle because it's winter and her only friend is an elderly maid at the castle named agnes Uh, so her father comes back in the spring hope finds out that her boyfriend nicolo died the first of many bummers to come (laughs) Uh, and next her friend agnes gets her finger bitten by a rat with the plague 
Uh, and then the whole town starts succumbing to the plague. Uh, one other thing about the artwork that that I think is worth commenting on is the I think it really captures kind of the grimy, gritty texture of what I think of when I think of the medieval world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how you know researched it is or whatever, but like this is when you like the picture that you have in your mind of like medieval times that perfectly gets it. The coloring is really nice too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like yeah. it was originally in black and white or if it was always color or whatever, but they had like nice gradients and sort of like a mm-hmm. almost sort of airbrush look, which you didn't necessarily get at DC and Marvel, which were produced mm-hmm. a little cheaper, I think. Um, and the Speaking of the grimy and gritty texture, the um, at one point she throws up in the pouring vomit, lovingly, <laughs> lovingly rendered, pretty uh-huh. gross, but again, mm-hmm. lovely colors. Yes, yeah. And then we cut to a scene where Agnes is being treated for the plague, and the priests are in the process of bleeding her. So Hope has learned from her boyfriend that course the best way to deal with the plague is to lance the swellings and so she tries to interfere with them and prevent them from bleeding agnes and um like you were saying like if, if it's not actually the best way to do it um she's just pretty much stabbing at her arms with a knife letting the green the green stuff fly out and then like not wiping anybody's face i don't know if, i don't know if the, that disease is actually communicable from the gross oozing stuff in this in the the buboes themselves but mm-hmm. it's probably not not great yeah yeah so she she ends up saving agnes uh things are looking up but the priests are accusing her of being a witch uh and kind of behind her back so predictably later on we get a mob of angry peasants uh, they've ga- gathered together, and they've decided that they're going to kill Matthias and and his witch daughter, Hope. And again, we get a really great image. Uh, there's a shot, or there's a panel of a mob of angry peasants in the rain, and like, with one lit torch, and it looks really atmospheric and and uh, interesting. But the uh, the hilarious part about this scene to me is that, um, so the priest's plan A is that he asks uh, Matthias's chef to put poison in his meal. You know, like the, the classic first attempt assassination that you get mm-hmm. in every any story. Um, he mm-hmm. apparently does that. Later that night, uh, Matthias, uh, Matthias goes, I am not hungry. Get this slop away. Mm-hmm. Right away, their plan B is like, okay, the poisoning didn't work. Get the entire town to the castle. <laughs> We're gonna start. We're gonna storm it, and like I, you know, one appreciates the escalation, but I would think like you have like a plan B or a plan C in between that, mm-hmm. or like maybe get him to put the poison in the food again on a day when he is hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, ask him what he would like for dinner first, then poison that. But no, they go right yeah. from like let's sort of subtly, you know, take him out, and we'll take care of this quietly. Didn't work. Nope. Everybody, pitchforks, torch, torches. We're going. We're going. We're going for it. it. Yeah, it really feels like a, a Springfield level of yeah. I was escalation. Thinking, I was thinking that too. They just got like an angry mob just waiting to go. They probably weren't happy mm-hmm. about the 
poisoning in the first place. They were like, do we have, do we have to do this? Can we, can we just go to the, the fun of storming the castle? Yeah. Yeah. They, they're, they're ready to go. They, <laughs> they pull their, their act together. Uh, they managed to storm Matthias's castle, uh, which apparently wasn't that well defended. And so they corner him. He starts fighting him off, but he ends up getting stabbed. And, uh, but just as he's about to seemingly die, he teleports away uh, to what we think is some kind of hell dimension, saying, I'm coming home. He also says, I thank you all, which I am incapable of not reading in a Freddie Mercury, we are the champions voice. You know? <laughs> I thank you mm-hmm. all. I was actually thinking of um, the Ozzy Osbourne song, Mama, I'm Coming Home. <laughs> When I read the quotations, so. Very, I, so like our our cover blurb for this would be, uh, the dialogue is musical. Yeah, and real and uh, eye catchingly colored vomit. Yes, ringing endorsement. So we end on a cliffhanger because Hope gets captured and tied up for an old fashioned witch burning. So issue two opens. With Hope tied to the stake, and the fire is encroaching on her. Um, Clearly she has no hope of survival, except that she repeats the words that she heard Matthias encant to summon demons. First of all, impressive memory, Hope, because she stumbled upon that ritual, like, what, like, maybe several months ago. Heard it once, Mm -hmm. was not even sure that she was awake, but is perfectly capable of reciting it back, so... It's, yeah, and it, it's at least like a quatrain or two, I think. <laughs> right. So, yeah, um, Lady Death's powers is poetry recall. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's I think there's sort of a commentary here about um, how religious zealotry can create the things that it's trying to oppose. Um, she's not really a witch, but they put her in a position where she really has no other choice but to side with the demons, which in the universe of the mm-hmm. comic are are real. Demonstrably real. Yeah, I thought that was, and, and it just works as kind of a, a fairly unique or clever way out of this situation. Too. So uh, the demons do appear, um, and they say that they will take her away if she renounces her humanity. It's not entirely clear what this entails, and I'll sort of be getting to this in a bit, but the remainder of this series is sort of ambiguous as to like what the demons do to her to get her into hell. Um. But regardless of that, and maybe it's just an ambiguity in the art or me interpreting it wrong, but the townspeople don't, they seem pretty chill. Like, while they're burning the witch, a bunch of demons show up in green light and take her away. I mean, certainly they must be thinking that, like, well, I guess we were right to do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No mistake in this one. Yeah. Yeah, you think they'd at least be, like, disappointed a little bit afterwards. Yeah, we wanted to parade the charred corpse of this witch. But mm-hmm. Hope says that she believes that life was nothing but pain and suffering. And now she's delivered to an even worse fate in hell. So one thing that uh, this series really sort of surprised me with is how like, bleak it is. <laughs> like For all the mm-hmm. like, you know, awesome guitar solo stuff and like the sort of, you know, scantily clay li- clad lady thing. It's really just like a brutal, awful miserable life that this character this character has uh it's a total bummer i yeah. think overall stone cold 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Hope asks herself where she could possibly be, which like take a guess. <laughs> it's, it's like you know yeah. the big red caves and there's fire and stuff. Like it's 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 probably mm-hmm. hell, right? I mean, it's probably hell. Um, that would be in my top five guesses. Right. Hell, and then like I don't I don't want to insult anybody's hometown. This would be a really funny place for a joke about somebody's town. I'm going to say Sheboygan. Okay. Because that's in Wisconsin. And I will take the hit for that. <laughs> uh, so no sooner does she arrive in uh, Sheboygan, but some goat-legged guard dudes spot her. They say that she is the spawn of our Lord, which implies that Matthias is doing pretty well for himself in hell since he got taken down there. Um, Nicolo appears and um, this seems like it's going to be a joyous reunion. But alas, Nicolo is no longer the like cool progressive boyfriend that he once was with all his like knowledge of like school and medicine and stuff. Uh, whether it's actually him or whether he's being manipulated by Matthias in some way, um, he says, no, nope, Matthias has shown him the true path. He's a willing soldier in the war. He puts uh, like some sort of magical stocks, like, you know, the thing where you have your arms and your head through and you're on the chain, um, like in the beginning of Army of Darkness. Puts that on her, so even here, it's <laughs> it gets worse, and it gets worse. Um, we yeah. check in with Matthias, and he is still planning to rule hell. Yeah, he doesn't really have any, like, motivation in this series. I mean, like, we talked about how he's just pretty much, like, the unambiguous villain. And mm-hmm. he doesn't really have, like, a reason for wanting to rule hell, or he doesn't have, like, a Thanos-style, like, the, the villain is the hero of his own story kind of motivation. It seems to be just, like... Yeah. It would be awesome if I was the king of hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's that's all you need. So uh, Hope is brought before Matthias, and his armor is now even more extravagant and evil than it was while he was a living man. Um, he has wings now. <laughs> he's got wings now. He's got like pointed teeth. Um, the razors are even sharper, so he's moving up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Hope sees a vision of her mother. Again, you're hoping, you're thinking like, oh, this, maybe this will be a positive experience, but no. Um, uh, this vision says that hope was a mistake, and that her birth caused her, the mother, to have to give up her freedom. And this was sort of a weird thing because it's sort of, I don't know much about like family planning or contraception in the medieval period, but this conversation that she has with her feels very like sort of modern. You know, like when you see like the right. the movie about like the mother tells the child, you know, like, oh, I used to be happy and I could go out and party. Then I had a kid and, it, you know, chained me to the crib or whatever. Right. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like if she's like the wife of a lord. Um, yeah, that's probably all she really had going on anyway. was <laughs> expected well, to. Maybe she wanted to. uh Go to the go to university and learn the latest lancing techniques. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's, that's redashed. That seems that seems plausible. Um, so Matthias takes hope, um, is mocking her for even you know her beloved mother does not even love her, um, and he throws her out of his castle, and hope falls down this really like out of the castle, and down this really really long chasm. And when he does this, he says, you know, in your last living moments, you know, appreciate that your mother didn't love you. But 
he says last living moments. Now I'm not really sure at this point, whether technically hope is alive or dead. She says Mm. in a different part, I was already dead, but they talk about her like she's alive. So I don't know if the demons took like her as a living person into hell or if they killed her and then transported their soul into hell. I'm probably thinking too much about this, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Or maybe there's like a second layer of dead that you can become in hell. Like you die to go to hell, but then there's like double dead (laughs) that you can maybe be. I'm not sure, Mm -hmm. Um, but she does survive the fall, which I don't think you could if she was alive, normal style. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Matthias seems to think like that takes care of her. So maybe he was expecting that to kill or double kill her. Uh, So metaphysics aside, she's in pretty rough shape in the pit. And then um, Lucifer discovers her in the dark. He was in the neighborhood, I guess. Uh, Lucifer acknowledges that Matthias is a threat to his rule in hell and says he will give Hope power if she promises to serve him and defeat her father. And Hope is not having any of it. She says, I had been a puppet for too long and spits in Lucifer's face, which admittedly, this is a pretty badass thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, I think spit at the devil is is my favorite Motley Crue album. (laughs) So yeah, so Lucifer, as one imagines, does not take this well. Um, So he sicks some, like, hellhounds on her. And she fights back. I guess this is, like, the new defiance that she's, you know, the fire inside her that she's found. Um, She picks up bones, and she's, like, smacking these dogs, and she's kicking them, and she's knocking the crap out of these, these demon hellhounds. And eventually it gets to the point where the demons, or the, the hellhounds... They become subservient. They come over and they, they lick her and recognize her as the dominant alpha of the pack, I guess. And now she's got pets, which is the first nice thing that I think that has happened to her uh, in mm-hmm. the series. But yeah, um, Lucifer is not there anymore. I'm not sure if he just sort of buggered off. Like, dogs like to take care of the work. I got stuff to do in hell. But yeah, so he leaves, but... And doesn't know that she's apparently still active, or doesn't seem to know. Right. Um, so Hope walks with her dogs through hell, which she describes as being torn apart by war and it's in flames. Which, like, how can you tell, really, that like, <laughs> like hell is in bad shape? Like, is the fire on fire? Yeah, hell's really gone downhill <laughs> in the last. Like, you should have seen it. Years. You should have seen it three hundred years ago. This <laughs> place was. You know, it was still on fire, but like there was like some nice architecture, and there was a thriving local mm-hmm. art scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so as she is going on this sort of trek through hell, her skin and hair turns white, like Lady Death. The design becomes, and she finds herself being surprised at her lack of empathy for the souls of the damned around her. She says they didn't survive, and it was their own damn fault. And so, with this transformation, I think. And you just got into the metaphysics of being dead or or double dead. Uh, but if you know anything about this character, she is, let's say, voluptuous is the word. <laughs> yeah. And so up to this point, though, she's had more realistic body proportions. And when she gets her hell powers, so her skin turns white and her eyes turn white, 
and her bust size increases dramatically. Yes. Uh, so apparently the implication is that larger breasts are evil and serving hell in some way, which now we know. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's a biblical thing <laughs> that I missed somehow or. Yeah. It was, it's, just... it's in the back somewhere. Okay. Yeah, it just was notable. Yeah, and like throughout the uh, series, Hope has been dressed fairly modestly in some kind of, you know, one-piece dress kind of medieval thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but now she's got like, uh, you know, the dress is torn and she's got like an exposed midriff. I don't know if the increasing bus size had like a Hulk kind of thing of like tearing the dress apart. Mm-hmm. But... um yeah, so now that she is fully in Lady Death mode, we're starting to get a little bit more like the cheesecakey kind of um, shots of her. Um, suddenly, a new character bursts in. This is Cremator, and he says that he is blacksmith to the Lords of Hell, and I love this guy. He has yeah. he has a purple hood and like a leather harness like all over his chest, and he's got scars. And I'm trying to think of like what is it about this guy that I am responding to based on nothing but his appearance. And I figured out this is like a masters of the universe, like a He-Man character in the lady mm. death universe. So I am, I am down for that aesthetic. Yeah. He, he reminded me of, I think it's the Spider-Man villain. Maybe I think it's Carrion yeah. or something. Yeah. Carrion. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted to say vermin, but I, it just flashed into my mind, but yeah, the sort of, the the unusual thing of like having a hood, but no cape. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure how it works, but he pulls it off. He makes it right. He makes it work. <laughs> anyway, so Cremator, my favorite character, says yeah. that he hates uh, Matthias, but that he can't do anything about it because he's fairly powerless. Um, but he also talks this big game about how Hope is this powerless little girl and can't do anything either. At this, Hope gets in touch with her inner, you know, whatever, and start shooting this sort of, like, brightly colored, vague power blasts. Like you do in comics, just sort of lights coming from your fingers. Um, mm-hmm. She describes this as in hell, that desire equals power, and now she has the desire to overcome um, her obstacles. Maybe this is related to her turning, like, all white, like she did. Because um, we never really get, like a like, a turning point origin story for like she's just white all of a sudden mm-hmm. but I guess that's how it works so um, this shot's cremator up <laughs> he is going he's, he's talking a big game about like oh this, look at this weak little girl she shoots like one power glass and he's blasting he's like what can I do for you <laughs> m'lady she asks mm-hmm. him to make this sword and he's like whatever you say <laughs> hey game recognizes game right right yeah, so, yeah, I mean, and Cremator is, is that's I think, speaks well to his character. He recognizes mm-hmm. talent when he sees it. Um, so while this is going on, Matthias and Lucifer are at war. You get some more, like, cool, you know, demon, battling demon stuff. And while they're battling it out, Cremator gives Hope the clothes of Lucifer's former lover, Purgatory. And this is Purgatory with an I at the end who was a different Chaos Comics character. This one, I think, is the one that's like a red devil lady with horns. That checks out. Yeah. Yeah. 
Again, somebody that I think I you know vaguely re- recall seeing in Wizard magazine mm-hmm. several months in the nineties. So uh, this is an Easter egg for the yes the uh, Chaos Comics extended universe. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a whole thing that's going on here, and I'm sure that Cremator has, God willing, his own comics that I can buy and cherish. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he gives her this, you know, this leather lingerie thing. It's basically a bikini, but it's got like a garter belt and all that stuff. And it's of course all covered in skulls because it's lady death. Um, they show her sort of putting on like the boots and the gloves and it's actually sort of less titillating than you would expect from this kind of like scantily clad art. But yeah, um, it's sort of framed as like becoming empowered and like embracing this new identity as lady death um, we should probably be like interrogating at, at least I think any time that like a male writer frames female empowerment in terms of putting on a leather bikini, mm-hmm. not not discounting it totally. If yeah, but I I, I would keep it in mind. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Matthias uh, appears to slay Lucifer, um, and so now I guess he moves up the org chart and he's king of hell. Uh, some yeah. demon says, Matthias, your daughter yet lives. Which, again, <laughs> this muddies my whole perception of, like, hope is hope alive or is hope dead or is she not dead enough for hell? Um, Matthias seems sort of vague on it, too, which, like, if you're going to be lord of hell, <laughs> you got to know how this stuff works. Like, yeah. you can't just have yeah. people in hell and not be sure if they're alive or dead. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it seems like day one of orientation. Right. This is this is the Peter Principle thing where he got like promoted to the to the level of his incompetence, and now he's like, oh, I don't know, if people are alive or dead down here. But um, yeah. So uh, at this point, hope is revealed in her um, full glory as Lady Death, and um, what appears to be Matthias vows that he will kill his daughter again. I'll take it at I'll take that at face value. And that closes out issue two. So in issue three, we begin uh, where we left off with Matthias pre- preparing to battle uh, Hope or Lady Death. And so he has this army of demons. They attack Hope and her loyal sidekick cremator so it's basically an epic uh we get a epic battle scene they fight for a while they trade threats uh heads are lopped off and yeah it's 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 some exciting stuff like i i think so if, if i'm the artist on this and i get the script for the you know i want to draw lady death i get the script for the first issue and it's a lot of like here's people sitting by the pool or by the by the lake and here's people you know somebody throwing up issue three the script just must read like have fun buddy because he gets to draw the hell out of all this stuff yeah so this one is uh probably the most metal of the (laughs) the issues if you want to go on the the metal scale yeah and so we get uh this battle is going on and in the middle of the battle hope sees an illusion of nicolo for a second but barely even fools her she she's kind of unfazed and she just cuts him in half uh and then next she sees her mother and it's another illusion but even that she's kind of 
getting wise to now. And her mother starts hinting that Matthias isn't what he seems. So then we find out that it turns out that Lucifer has been hiding in her father's form. He's taken her father's form while he's in hell. So she apparently was fighting Lucifer this whole time. And so it's presented as if I initially thought it was going to be that Lucifer had taken her father's form even when he was alive and that he had been a good person at one point and that Lucifer turned turned him evil. Uh, but then apparently it turns out that it was that her father was pretty much evil before that and that was why Lucifer picked him. Um, so it was a little kind of a fairly inconsequential kind of reveal. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah. Cause like with the thematic stuff in this about, you know, her becoming empowered and fighting back instead of her, like, like this is her, instead of this being the story of her finally standing up to this, like abusive, terrible father, it's just sort of the story of like, oops, you got tricked. There's not, yeah. Like it really removes any kind of personal stakes that this, comic yeah. actually had, yeah which is, so which is a shame yeah, twist call, falls kind of flat um we find out that apparently lucifer's goal with i guess bringing her in here or doing this whole conversion thing was to quote take an innocent so pure and filled with light and make it a child of darkness uh so then she and lucifer fight for a while she stabs him in the chest and demands that he give her her life back and not only only does he not agree to that, but he uses his dying breath to curse her. Uh, so he says, I curse you as long as the living walk the earth. You will never, ever return home to earth. Uh, but then Lady Death makes lemonade out of those lemons and says, if the living must die so I may return to earth, then they will die and I shall have their graves waiting. And then all these graves pop up. That's pretty, it's pretty rad, but I'm sort of, un so like, this is supposed to set up like her mm -hmm. motivation for why she wants to wipe out all life on earth. But I am kind of unclear as to like what the desire is to get back to earth. So if the, so the, so the deals I understand here, our status quo is that only once all, I don't know if it's all life or just all people are dead, she can mm -hmm. return to earth do you want to go back to earth at that point? I don't know. I mean, I guess hell isn't awesome, but you know, you, you rule it. Like that's, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah. I think she's got a good where she is. I think she, should, I think she should be happy with a new status, put the earth behind her. Yeah. I mean, does it, does it make sense um, to you? I, like, I think that, yeah, she really hasn't thought that far ahead in terms of <laughs> what, what, she's actually going back to earth for and it apparently takes her to like 19 the 1990s to actually like get something cooking so mm -hmm. well she heard that that grunge sound coming out <laughs> she had to she had to emerge for that time is right yeah she's i think it's more just in that moment she's like giving the middle finger to him and uh figuring it out later on but so then that is the the end of the first three ish issues of this limited series uh but wait there's more 
now we come to the fourth story in this trade paperback, which is issue one half. Um, so we talked about Wizard Magazine earlier. Big deal in the 90s. Um, kind of the kingmakers of the comics industry. Um, a lot of publishers would co-publish issue one half issues with Wizard. So these would be like exclusive issues you couldn't get anywhere else. It was supposed to make, you know, it's exciting for your publishing company and it's exciting for Wizard and it makes the whole thing sort of valuable. I believe there were certificates of authenticity, which everything had mm-hmm. back in the 90s. I at le- I think I at least ordered, I might have actually ordered this issue and then one other half issue from Wizard. I did have, I didn't have it from Wizard, but I found the Astro City one half issue, which I guess is a recommendation. Buy that one, certainly. But mm-hmm. um, So yeah, so this is just basically like another like an extra issue. It's set around the origin, so they include it here. Um, they start off the issue with, again, doing the incomparable, unforgettable Lady Death thing. Um, really ratchet up the creepster vibe. Um, she's still excited about evil Ernie and the promise that er- evil Ernie will bring Megadeth. Yeah, she actually, so she uses the phrase Megadeth. She says, thanks to my emissary, the evil one, I am closer now than ever to my goal of Megadeth. Uh, and I actually, I looked this up because I didn't know if that was a term before reading this comic. So I went on wikipedia again and i found out that apparently megadeth is one million human deaths and it was coined discussing the prospects of nuclear nuclear war and then the the band megadeth adopted that that term so i actually learned something tangentially from (laughs) from lady death yeah um but she's if she's going to kill off all of humanity she's going to need several megadeths to achieve her goal not just the one yeah, I uh, googled the global population back in 1995, and I, mm-hmm. I believe, if I've done my calculations correctly, she needs 5,700 megadeths. So I don't know if I don't know if Evil Ernie is just like on megadeth number one, mm-hmm. or if um, maybe Lady Death isn't totally up on her uh, nuclear warfare terminology. Yeah, but yeah. so anyway, uh, <laughs> Lady Death decides to search for her mother's soul because we saw something going on with her mother in the last issue. Um, And she spends years on a search. She comes upon a cathedral, which is not something you expect to find in hell. She mentions that she's mentioned that in her journeys, um, looking at her sort of her new territory of hell, she's come upon the river of fear, the Valley of forgotten skulls and the beyond. And a footnote tells us that these are dark tales to be told at another time. I don't know if that actually ever, if they ever actually happened or if Brian Polito had these specific ideas in mind or if it's just like to sound cool. Cause they're, they're all pretty mm-hmm. generic titles. Scary I think. places. Yeah. Like these could all be Conan story titles. Mm-hmm. Valley of forgotten skulls. It's seems that could be anything. <laughs> I mean, probably forgotten yeah. skulls, but, um, so yeah. So inside the cathedral, um, our old pal Nicolo is up to some business, no longer cut in half, apparently. Um, and he is mm-hmm. gathering power from the nexus of all things, which sort of ambiguous, but, um, it's allowing him to open heaven's gate. 
Uh, Niccolo attempts to steal Lady Death's power. He appears to dissolve her sword and sort of like throws some mystical shackles on her to get her um, pinned to the wall. Um, so at this point, he starts uh, saying, you know, Matthias kept you dumb. You have no education. Um, he calls her an uneducated wench, as it should be with all women. So, um, Nicola must be on Twitter, right? <laughs> right. I, I imagine this is the kind of dude who has a lot of problems with Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Does not mind telling you about them. I I'm just, I was just so tired back then of Lady Death and all these other bad girls shoving their political opinions <laughs> down our, our throats. Yeah. You got to be so PC in hell these days. And, yeah. Um, so uh, Nicolo then moves on to some victim blaming, saying that uh, Hope slash Lady Death allowed herself to become a victim by never fighting back all those years, I guess. But she comes back and says that she's learned much um, in her time as ruler of hell. And since she had prayed for death when Matthias was beating her and doing all the terrible things that he did when they were alive, because she prayed for death, she sort of got what she wanted. So, um, again, I'm not sure why she needs to go back to Earth, because, like, she is totally self-actualized now. Mm-hmm. But um, the gate opens, and her mother is revealed. Uh, Nicolo says that the Nexus needs balance. Evil has overtaken it, and uh, her mother's good spirit is the only thing that's holding it in check. Uh, then Nicolo reminds her of the good times that they had together, sort of the... You know, remember when we took that picnic by the by the lake or the river? Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems like some like sort of pickup artist stuff after like the negging earlier. It's like you're uneducated, but like we had some good times, girl. <laughs> but so yeah, Nicolo kind of a scumbag, I think, is the my takeaway from this. Um, but yeah, so Lady Death is not having it. She conjures her sword back and stabs Nicolo, uh, and she. Ar- does something something that causes his heart to sort of bubble up from his chest and then actually just like tear itself out yeah it's it's like if uh tex avery had like a mortal combat finishing yeah move. yeah and just makes it explode inside him uh which raises the question of why she didn't do that right away yeah um, i'm I, again i'm like confused as to like what constitutes being alive or dead because like he was cut in half. And Although that was maybe a hallucinatory oh, maybe. or an illusion of him. I guess. But then, yeah, I mean, if he is dead, does your undead body need a heart to survive? Spawn didn't. <laughs> I didn't read a lot of Spawn, but I read that first mm-hmm. couple of issues and he did not need a heart. That was a specific plot point. Maybe Nicola was not at that level yet. There, I think there is much uh, theology that needs to be <laughs> applied to this. So uh, with Nicolo out of the picture, we'll say, uh, she tells her mom to go into the light. Um, she says that it's too late for her. And this makes mom sad. Um, she calls her the child of darkness. But Lady Death says she's not the child of darkness. She is the darkness. It's my destiny. I'm death. Lady Death. So empowering, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly self-actualized, we'll say. Um, but yeah, mom goes on her way to heaven um, and Lady Death is left behind crying literal bloody tears. 
which I I think this sort of puts all like the Peter Parker's life in perspective, you know, it's like how many issues of Spider-Man are there? Like we're at the end, he's, you know, walking away with his, you know, his head down thinking like, Oh, my girlfriend is mad at me and I not doing so well at my job and my school is hard. And meanwhile, like lady death yeah. is at the end going like, I need to kill everybody on earth and my mom's going mm-hmm. to heaven. And he just needs to slap on some black leather and uh, slap on some skulls and, He'll feel much more, feel much better about his situation. Yeah, that could be very good for him. Um, and that brings us to uh, the last part of this collected edition is uh, actually a swimsuit special of Lady Death. Um, we can't really yeah. review this because it's uh, it's just pictures, and we are talking to you on the wireless radio. But mm-hmm. um, this is actually kind of what it, more like what I assume that Lady Death is going to be because like like the so the first one in here is Lady Death like on a sort of th- like a lifeguard station but it's like covered in thorns and she's got a mm-hmm. shirt on not covering up a whole lot um it says lifeguard but then life is crossed out and it says death <laughs> and then there's a skull that says last aid instead of first aid. Um, so like this is this is like this is actually sort of what I ex- thought Lady Death was going to be is like sort of cheeky death themed uh, things like this, mm-hmm. and instead I got like a grueling slog of <laughs> terror and misery. <laughs> yeah, there's dissonance between the the swimsuit special and everything that we've just seen up to this point. And it's funny for like to do a swimsuit special. Lady Death is pretty much already as exposed as you would be wearing a swimsuit. Um, she gets mm-hmm. some um, horror-themed stuff here. There's one swimsuit that's covered in uh, little skeletons. There's one that's like spider webs. There's one that's some claws that are just barely covering up, uh, bathing in a river of blood with snakes. Mm-hmm. Everything you want in a swimsuit issue. <laughs> yeah, and this was actually like a pretty common thing in the 1990s where you would have swimsuit issues and not only like the indie publishers, but you would have like the Marvel swimsuit issue with, with both, both male and female characters. It maybe should be noted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of weird looking back in retrospect and I guess this was pre- widespread internet usage so yeah i guess you sort of took what you could get a bit more back in those back in those mm-hmm. days um now there is a i mean it's the internet you can like dial up whatever erotic x-men art that, that you want mm-hmm. um, and share all over the globe but like in those days it was like you had to get the swimsuit issue yeah you walked two miles uphill both <laughs> ways to the comic book store to get the the swimsuit issue and yeah uh i don't know if they were better times worse times i'll think we'll we'll leave that up to you too they were times to figure out <laughs> yes <laughs> they were times now that we're at the end of our journey uh what did what did you think of of lady death was it what you were expecting or 
I would say I I definitely expected all the the violence and and sort of hell motifs that we saw and all that stuff. So it met my expectations in that regard. Um, in terms of the the misery and bleakness, yeah, that was that was kind of surprising. I wonder if we had like chosen a more uh, like another appearance of her, another story arc, whether it's just because it was an origin story that it got that bleak. Um, yeah, it was not a lot of fun in the, <laughs> in the early going. Yeah. I mean, like I sort of, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I thought that it would maybe be like, kind of like a horror themed Barbarella where it was a lot of like suggestive dialogue and sort of like, risque situations mm-hmm. and she gets put into some sort of sexy peril and has to, you know, sort of seduce her way out of it or something. Um, I, I mean, like I, you know, I honestly thought this was going to be like sort of jokey, I guess mm-hmm. going into it, but that's, it's stone cold serious. And I guess that's like, I think it's, I think it's to the, to um, Brian Polito's credit that he did try to, make i mean there is a real story here you know mm-hmm. regardless of whether um it's totally well executed or like you know whatever it's it, i mean he is trying to like tell a narrative that explains the appearance of sexy lady in leather bikini yeah one of those classic stories <laughs> tale as old as time <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah overall was it more entertaining than you thought? Did you find it to be not enjoyable because of those elements? Or? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's I guess it's it's not really my sort of cup of tea. Um, despite my imploring you to listen to metal albums as you read this, I don't own any metal mm-hmm. albums and the whole. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I I I like horror movies and stuff, but I'm not necessarily into like the you know, the rad demon imagery. Like it's, it's, it's cool. And it's like, well done, but it's just not my, um, not my thing, but not too, uh, yeah. and either is like the, the cheesecake thing is not totally my, my thing either, but not too yuck. Anyone's yum mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. So I, I think I, I feel the same way. It was, uh, for what it was, it, 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 accomplish what I think the, the creators set to accomplish. Yeah, it's definitely the best version of this comic that I think you could you could do. And actually I was sort of I was sort of impressed in like the first issue how like quickly everything moves along. You know, we mm-hmm. we sort of made fun of like um Matthias being like obviously I am the villain. I woke up and I'd love to be evil. But you know, it's like it it establishes him pretty quickly as the bad guy and it establishes Nicolo as the, you know, there's going to be a heel turn. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly not like what we would think of today as like a decompressed comic. It gets a lot of stuff in that first issue. So, uh, whatever happened to lady death? Um, so apparently I, I did a little bit of sleuthing and, <laughs> She is still going strong. Um, they just, I believe they just had a project funded through Kickstarter not too long ago. Uh, she's actually passed from multiple companies 
to I think she's back in uh, Brian Polito's uh, new uh, company but it's I, I found it interesting because it's obviously it's still popular enough to have somebody buying it and and um, you know passionate enough about it yeah I mean I, I was sort of yeah I was not really sure about because I mean there's not there's not a whole lot there from I mean mm-hmm. from what from this series at least to sort of hook you on the character but yeah I mean I guess yeah. if, I guess if you know people are pretty ride or die about it that's cool well I so I did a little bit of googling to see if I could find out any anything any information about lady death fandom um and so what I was able to gather was there's uh there's not really much out there like you won't find discussions of hey I picked up the latest issue of Lady Death out there so it was strange because there's like the last forum that I found was from around maybe seven years ago uh, where you just had one fan lamenting that they reduced her bust size when she started getting published by new companies um, so that's that was one that's what's important yeah, uh, that was, again, I think it was, like, there was one post and one response on Comic <laughs> Vine. And then a few years ago, someone posted on Reddit asking, what are the best Lady Death, uh, Lady Death comics? And some poster on Reddit, going by the name of Omstar, uh, said that it was a solid sword and sorcery comic that isn't really taken seriously because of all of the various semi- pornographic variant covers that they put out um so really yeah it's like it's hard to actually track down anybody who would call themselves a lady death fan which is i think is a weird thing like that it's still going strong but yeah yeah you play it find much you play it close to the vest i guess <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah but if you're if you're a an underground lady death fan feel free to to hit us up with some of the the highlights of of the series or the mythology or anything like that so we'll turn from that to a couple of recommendations to wrap things up i usually try to find something that's sort of related to what we're talking about but i didn't have anything else in the uh voluptuous lady goes to hell genre so Mm. um i'll just say so it's marvel's 80th anniversary this year the 80th anniversary of the publication of Marvel Comics number one in 1939. And um, Marvel is doing this uh, pretty cool thing where they're like reprinting a lot of old stories just sort of from all over, really getting um, some of that old material back out. And I have expressed that I am sort of Captain Back issue these days, so I've been picking some of them up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some of them were like um, reproductions of the entire issue where like you have Fantastic Four number one and it prints like the ads that are in Fantastic Four number one. Mm. originally like just printed on like as though it was printed on like this nice 2019 grade quality oh, paper cool. and there are other ones yeah. that are like just like a dollar and they're you know not replicas but they're just a dollar of you could get only like in a trade or you know in a, one of those black and white essential versions so i've been picking mm-hmm. some picking some of that stuff up um in advance of the release of avengers endgame they um as you can imagine they put out a lot of avengers reprints in this one dollar format you know, some Thanos stuff, some uh, Nebula stuff, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The most curious one 
was that there's a reprint that was called Avengers Endgame, which hmm. catches the eye. And I take a look at it, and it has it's a like a Roy Thomas Sal Buscema story from I think it's 1969 or 1970, and it has nothing to do at all with the anything in the movie Avengers Endgame. It's war like a game between Kang and the Grandmaster and the Avengers have to go back in time and fight Nazis and the uh the original invaders. But um hmm. the whole reason that is apparently reprinted is because the original story just happened to be titled Endgame. And so uh-huh. yeah, the entire re- purpose of this is this is technically called Avengers Endgame. We can put that on the cover. But I don't know who this is. Like, I don't know what that, the logic is there. Cause like, I mean, I bought it cause like, I want to read an old, you know, Roy Thomas Avenger story. Mm-hmm. But like, can you imagine like if you were like grandma goes to the comic book store and oh, I know my grandson loves or is excited for that Avengers Endgame movie. I'm going <laughs> to, here we have the, the comic that it's based on. And that kid is going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a weird strategy. But I mean, I got what I wanted out of it, I guess. Yeah. Well, so it's it's a recommend. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like the Roy Thomas Avengers comics for their mm-hmm. um you know whatever they might seem a little dated now or whatever, but they're a fun time for me. So yeah, if you any and you know this sort of a general recommendation of go to the comic book store if they have those uh tr- they're called true believers. They say it on, on like a banner on top. Lots of cheap stuff you can get. Super cool. Very cool. Cool. Um, so I usually try to find comics that are connected in some way. So the closest connection I could think of was I uh, read the uh, the first two volumes of All New Wolverine from 2016. And these are graphic novels or trade paperbacks written by Tom Taylor with art mainly by David Lopez. And it's been a few years since I've actually read these, so they're a little hazy in my mind, but uh, they star the character X-23, who was a clone, a female clone of Wolverine. And uh, if you're familiar with, if you don't know the comics, but you've seen Logan, uh, that's the young girl in the movie is Laura Kinney, who is this Wolverine. So in this series she takes over for the then deceased uh, logan as wolverine and uh, basically she's protecting her fellow clones who are part of some military experiment, and they go on the run um so she i think she rescues them and they're uh, being hunted and so they're, the clones themselves are are entertaining, and she has a one of her younger clones named Gabby has become a pretty popular Marvel character, going by the name Honey Badger. <laughs> um, so there's some some kind of interesting character dynamics and fun ca- character di- dynamics with that group, um, but mainly it's just a really good, well plotted action series uh, with. And we've got some kind of underrated Marvel villains that show up. And it's the only comparison that comes to mind is it's kind of like if you had something like the Bourne identity with 
superheroes and supervillains. Um, so she kind of started off apparently in her early appearances, she was kind of like a bad girl character in that she had, uh, she was violent and wore fairly revealing clothing. Um, so that's the, the mental gymnastics I'm, hmm. I'm kind of performing to make the, the link, but, uh, still violent, but the, the comics really, really entertaining and, and worth checking out. That's our show for tonight. Um, you can uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Indefensible Inc. We are on Facebook. We uh, can be reached by email at indefensibleinc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have recommendations um, for one of the various terrible comics that you have read and that we have not read. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, we will uh, see you next time. Bye.